0: Hello and welcome to our presentation on What's the Crack with Public Engagement. If you do not already know, my name is Elle Wadsworth and we have Lindsay Hines and Rob Calder with us. Hi. Hello. And we are researchers from the National Addiction Centre. We will be doing our presentation on our pilot podcast, What's the Crack, which is a podcast that looks at the research behind, the, behind news stories in the media.
2: Um, so this is what we're going to go through in this um, uh, podcast slash presentation. So we're going to talk, talk about public engagement, some of the reasons for making a podcast about the listeners, about funding, um, about some more about public engagement, um, quite a lot of it about the practicalities of recording a podcast because we learned quite a lot about about that, um, and then some ideas about the future about uh, how to potentially take it forward. Um, but before we do, just kind of why would why did we do this? Um, it was a kind of fleeting idea um, that we, we talked about over lunch and then all of a sudden we were committed for six months, which was um, too much to back out of somehow. Um, and there were a few ideas for why we wanted to do a podcast. Uh, one was we thought um, we were having kind of quite a lot of it, conversations that we were finding interesting about addictions, about how um, the bits of research that we were involved in linked and, and sometimes didn't link with each other. Um, and, well, we thought, well, if we're finding this interesting, there's at least a, a slim chance that some other people might find these kinds of conversations interesting as well. And um, we also thought um, some of the aims were really to find out how to make a podcast, how to do this, um, firstly how to do it, and then how to do it better and how to improve on it. So hopefully at the end of this six-month run, we, we would be really quite good at, doing, uh, at producing podcasts. Um, so in that sense, there was a bit of a pilot kind of uh, feel to it, although we never uh, kind of explicitly said we were doing a pilot. And the other one was we thought it would be fun. <laughs> and it was. It was actually uh, an awful lot of fun to do, but that was, um, it was another, another big driver for it. Mm.
3: Um. Great. Yeah, okay. So um, I would just want to talk a little bit about why people might want to get involved with public engagement. So uh, obviously, as researchers everyone is very time poor and has a lot of demands on their time. So I think that public engagement can feel like, you know, something which no one has the resources to do often. Um, And it was certainly something that none of us had done before. We'd all done presentations to non-specialist audiences, but being involved in like a concentrated public engagement uh, process and project was something very new to us. So I'm just going to talk a bit about the benefits that we got from doing it. So I'd say that one of the main things which has come out of this for the three of us is that it's really increased our visibility within the field. So because we're putting out this podcast regularly and talking about these issues, I think we've become known to a much uh, wider number of people as people who have expertise in this area. Um, so that's had some direct benefits for us um, in that we've been invited to talk on panels about public engagement um, and soon Elle will be talking on a panel with um, Professor David Nutt of uh, Imperial College about um, experts and their role in society. So I mean I think it's a very slim chance that we would have had these opportunities if we hadn't done this podcast so that's, um, so you know we are getting a lot out of it as well for us. Um, it's also been very useful for improving our own communication skills. So recording a podcast is like an iterative process where you record something and then you have to go through the painful process of listening to yourself back, um, which is uh, you know, difficult to get used to, but also something which is really useful for developing your communication style. And it's made all of us, I think, think a lot about how we convey information and the tone of our voice and things like that things like that, uh, so and trying to cut out, saying things like that and trailing off. Um, obviously, developing your communication for non-specialist audiences is uh, a very important research skill, so this is something which I think comes into play when you're writing grants and trying to pitch to um, funders who might ne- not necessarily be involved in your area of expertise, and maybe in developing collaborations when you're working with people from other areas, that you need to be able to convey uh, your area to people who don't necessarily have the knowledge uh, and expertise in it. And so I think that's something which has been useful for us in developing that skill as well. And then there's the obvious benefit to everyone of dissemination. So uh, both Elle and I have been able to talk about, uh, I've been able to talk about my PhD thesis work in cannabis dependence, Elle's been able to talk about her work in um, drug markets and the uh, hidden web and um, we're still waiting for uh, workforce development to come up. But when it does, Rob is going to be able to bring in his work as well. Um, <laughs> and also everyone that we've had featuring on the podcast as a guest has also, um, we've encouraged them to talk about work they're doing at the moment and their own findings. So it's, you know, it's been a very good vehicle for dissemination. So there are obviously uh, reasons for society to do public engagement as well um so there's the fact that it conveys to the public at large um how the process of research works that it's not just that we want to answer this question we do one study suddenly we have all the answers i think that what our podcast does is conveys that uh, it takes a long time to figure things out and you have to um research is a very ongoing process and i think that is useful for highlighting in the public consciousness um Also, I think that when you're working in health, um, we're obviously working in addiction and drug use. It's uh, an area which is going to be uh, affecting a lot of people. A lot of people who are experiencing addiction, who are using drugs, maybe who have friends and family who have these issues as well. And I think that demonstrating through the podcast that we're taking this seriously, that there is massive teams of people who are dedicating their whole careers to understanding this and trying to improve treatment. you know, can bring hope to people and, you know, is important for people to know that. Another aspect of it is that conveying that research doesn't just take place in this ivory tower of academia. So we've had very good feedback um, on Twitter from people who are in the cannabis using community about the ways in which we've been talking about um, cannabis, so about how we've been talking about skunk and referring to its as high-potency cannabis, which Amir really highlighted to us in one of our podcast episodes. Thanks, Amir. Um, and I think that showing the, you know, the community of people that we're kind of working for, that we do listen to their concerns and we take that into account is, um, you know, is also important and maybe can, um, increases their faith in what we're doing in research. Um Trying to think, was there anything else? No, I think those are the main things about why public engagement's... uh, what what I've found to be beneficial about public engagement. So, if you're considering your own public engagement uh, project, not necessarily a podcast, but anything, I'd really advise you to think about what skills you might have outside of your work, outside of research and academia. So, if you're very involved in social media, just on a day-to-day... You know, distraction level, that is something that can really be channeled well into public engagement. Maybe you're someone who enjoys writing in your spare time or photography. These skills can also be transferred into public engagement activities. When we were thinking about making a podcast, like Rob was saying, it stemmed from a lot of conversations that we were having. But as an idea, I hadn't really considered it as something that would be good for us, but it turned out that. Uh, Elle is very into podcasts, and I also listen to podcasts, so we had a very good understanding of the format um, we 'd both done very structured science communication activities, but nothing as unstructured as this. So we had <coughs> knowledge and understanding there, which contributed really well to this. Um, Rob uh, is involved in like audio work and uh, music production, um, and uh, that obviously translated very well to this into knowing about audio equipment and editing and so those are things that you might not necessarily think to bring into work in any way, but they actually
0: ended up being really beneficial for us. Okay, so bringing it back slightly to what actually is podcasting, if you just heard all that and didn't know what we were on about, um, it is in a, an audio MP3 drive uh, that is downloadable from the internet. You don't have to tune in or tune into a radio station at a certain time, it can be with you at all points. Um, it is an uh, an audio broadcast, which is a mashup of the word broadcasting and iPod. Although you don't need to listen to it on an iPod or an iPhone, it can be any smartphone device. Um, it came to the world in two thousand and four, and it's got uh, popular ever since. And it's recently gained a lot of speed in the last few years. And more celebrities are getting involved in podcasts, or people are becoming celebrities out of podcasts. Um, So, in some rough data I found, uh, 21% of 12-year-olds and up have listened to a podcast in the last month, and of those that did listen to a podcast, they listened to five per week. Um, For listeners with podcasts... The average number of listeners per episode of a podcast is around 140, but this is a massive range throughout all the podcasts that are available. So one of the, some of the most popular podcasts get around tens of millions of uh, listens per, pod, uh, per episode, so there's a wide range of what is actually available so the benefits of podcasts as well is that because it's downloadable, it's available at any time, any place, when you're on a run, on your way to work, you can listen to it. It's also unregulated, meaning that there's no watershed, and this also allows for a wider range of topics that are available to have. So you've got your standard podcasts that so would be on film reviews or sports, and then also at the other end of the spectrum, you know, arguably controversial ones. Um, but in summary, podcasting is growing. And... Um, so again, what is the potential of it? It's a great medium to disseminate knowledge. So in the academic world, it's a great medium to disseminate research. Um, again, we've touched on science communication, and it's a just a different way to adapt. So it's slightly different from what you would do if you were writing an article for a newspaper or disseminating it at a conference, because arguably with the newspaper article you kind of know what the readership is and with a a conference you know who's in your audience but with a podcast it's accessible to everybody because it's on the internet anyone could be having the podcast anyone can find our podcast and download it so we actually don't know who our audience is apart from geographic location Uh, so we have to adapt our language to make it accessible to more groups and obviously fame and fortune we don't know we could be the next number one on the iTunes chart (laughs) Um, So for our pilot, uh, we did 12 episodes in total and we chose the episodes to what was popular in the news at that time. So we launched in January, so our first episode we did was dry January Um, and the next episode after that we did on the London nightclub fabric because it had recently reopened from its closure in the previous year due to drug-related deaths. Other episodes include what is addiction, human enhancement drugs, cannabis legalisation, what we've already mentioned. So we have a wide range of what's actually in the news at the time. Um, are the makeup of what our podcasts are is sometimes a combination of just us three talking around a table. We'll also have a, an expert in the field that's just an interview, like a seven minute long interview, or we'll have an expert in the field that we've invited along to ha- do the podcast with us. Um, We've invited mainly uh, early career researchers in to add more exposure to their work and more experience in the science communication realm. Um, We only have two more episodes left of this pilot. We have SPICE and its use in the prison population that will be launched next Tuesday and our final one in three weeks which will be drugs and its use in films. So a few stats of what we have with our podcast. Uh, at the time of writing, uh, we've actually gone a bit higher, but we're almost at 5,000 listens for the whole podcast. And we've got listeners in 40 different countries. Perhaps unsurprisingly, our main base is in the UK, but we also have quite a, a fair group of listeners in the UK, US and in Europe. So, as I mentioned previously, the average, uh, the average number of listeners per episode per podcast is around 140. And at the moment, we're averaging about 300 to 400 per episode. Um, So it's gone better than we thought it was ever going to go. But our most uh, successful podcast episode to date has been Cannabis Legalization, again with the Mia, well done,
2: thank you. Um,
0: (laughs) Which has been almost 600. Uh, So we're very happy with that.
2: Um, Okay, so so now there's a thrilling section on the nuts and bolts of making a podcast funding, content, um, science communication, some of the equipment, how to set it up, some of the problems, some of the snags, some of the kind of things that you might need to know if you were going to make a podcast, which we'd have loved to have known before we started. So um, this is is the kind of first part really is about uh, generating content, and this matches up well with um, audience because... Um, as I explain in a, a number of slides time matching up your content with the audience is um, good so this is um, uh, these are the kind of stages that we go through so there's a whole preparation uh, time for the podcast so um, El was the host on most of the podcasts and so um, needed to put together a kind of really brief layperson's uh, plain English summary for the very beginning of the podcast to introduce the subject introduce the uh, researcher, introduce the guest and just kind of cover what we were going to go over and that involved some research, some conversations with that researcher Um, then there were the presenter contributions, so we'd all have a look at a few things um, bring in some references, bring in some uh, things that we'd read, either news stories or academic articles that we could contribute to that conversation with and then there was the expert guest um, and uh, so we'd meet with them, discuss what they wanted to bring in, how that might structure Um, and that's kind of really the areas where those um, uh, the content would come from those three areas. Um, and then during production making sure there's a running order and you know what you're recording and the order in which you're recording it. Um, and during production we also developed halfway through um, one of the people, again it was usually Elle, would listen to the recording as it was going along on headphones because um, You were then much more able to tell that someone had completely veered off topic and say, actually, we need to bring this round, or that they'd started something they hadn't then finished, so to make sure that uh, sentences kind of actually matched up and points got made and we kind of stayed on on topic, Um, and it also meant that we were able to edit out or avoid people knocking on tables and other horrific noises to hear. Um so that's kind of during production then in post production there's editing which i'll talk mm-hmm. about um, in a little bit, which is fairly simple but fairly long um, and once you 've got that kind of funnel, you end up with your final podcast we tried to get them around twenty five to twenty six minutes they usually ended up twenty eight to thirty um, and I say the kind of final ish product is that podcast because um, in a presentation like this the um, the point at which you're listening to this presentation is a fairly well controlled environment. Um, you're know, you you're sat you're facing, you can see the screens. With things like podcasts and online resources you have very 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 little control over the environment in which that podcast is listened to so someone could be doing it whilst uh, cooking, whilst travelling, um, whilst driving, uh, whilst half listening or fully listening and taking notes and so the actual experience of that final podcast um, is kind of much less out of your control than, than perhaps other, other forms. Um, so, the final product is is the final product as we leave it, um, but still kind of I guess subject to change in the um, in the listening.
3: Great. So once we'd come up with a plan and a rough idea of how, well, actually a very good idea of how the podcast was going to look, we did apply for um, public engagement funding. So we applied to the Wellcome Trust, King's College London public engagement small grant scheme. So this is uh, available to all staff and students at King's. They can give you up to £750 and uh, they take applications throughout the year, but they make decisions twice a year. details are on the internet about that so I think a podcast as we'll probably talk about in a bit can be done with very limited resources um, but we wanted to apply for money in order to make it a bit more professional so we could buy um, you know equipment and create a brand around it which we hoped would um, encourage a wider audience to listen to it if they thought that it looked and sounded very legit so I think that uh, and so the funding has been um, definitely really useful for that I think we've made good use of it. Uh, We had um, relatively uh, basic objectives, um, just about that we would put it out every couple of months, that we'd be researching it, that we'd be presenting it ourselves, that we'd identified um, the means to distribute it. Um, And uh, we also uh, estimated that we'd get 1,000 listeners. So as Elle was saying, we've had almost 5,000 listens. How that translates into individual listeners isn't um, necessarily clear, but I think that we've definitely met what we said we'd do to the funders. I'm pretty sure they'll buy that. Um, so I think that if you're thinking about trying to apply for funding for some kind of public engagement activity, a podcast is a good option. Because as I was saying, you have got that unlimited reach of the internet. Um, and depending on how well you can promote it, you can be reaching a much wider range of people than the number of people who would come to a, small a-, an, a- an activity that you were doing. So yeah, so I think that's been good. So once we got the funding, we needed to start thinking about how we were going to present the content. So I uh, last year attended the Royal Society Science Communication uh, two-day course which is run by SciConnect and um, that was really helpful, a lot of of intensive training on science communication, a lot of very practical uh, guidance on how to apply it and that's what we've um, based most of our thinking around science communication on. Uh, so um, as we've been saying we have the hook to bring people into the podcast which is that we're linking it up to stories that are in the media so this uh, means that we're hopefully putting out podcasts which people are warm to so they've uh, at least heard about the topic and may have read about and it also means that um, they've got kind of potentially people have got a basic level of information about what we're talking about and we then use the podcast to um, add nuance to that and expand on the topic for people Uh, another kind of secondary hook that we have is asking a lot of questions so the title of the podcast itself is a question Um, all of our show descriptions have questions to try and pique uh, listeners interest when they read it and to make them think okay actually I would like to hear about that and when we're interviewing uh, the other guests on the podcast we kind of come across as like naive uh, listeners or naive thinkers well Basically, because we often are, there are some <laughs> topics that are beyond what we're thinking about, but, you know, and do a lot of questioning uh, and hopefully asking questions that we think the audience would be interested in. So the science communication that we've been doing, I'd say, falls into, uh, like, kind of three main um, strands of what we've had to think about. So the first is the content, so thinking about what research we're going to select. So, as Rob was saying, we have um, planning meetings where we look at the topic that we want to be talking about, and from there pick out um, what we think will be the aspects to talk about from it which will best convey the information uh, and the nuances of the subject to the listeners. So, uh, we kind of tend to each take a topic of that, go away, do a little review of the literature, synthesize together the research. Um, We've also been, uh, as has also been said, bringing on early career researchers as guests, so that was um, kind of a conscious decision uh, to be able to bring fresh research to people, so not research that they would have potentially read about a million times before or have heard in other locations, so we were bringing something novel to people, um, and also to bring fresh voices as well, so not people who've maybe been necessarily been guests on many other podcasts. Uh, So I think... Uh, So, yes, that's how we've been thinking about the content for it. Uh, As for how we communicate that content, um, the aim has been to inform people but not educate them. So you're not giving a half-hour lecture on a topic. It's, you know, just there to... You're there to convey what the topic is, to convey some of the issues in it, but, um, you know, it's not that kind of didactic situation. It's a bit more um, free-flowing than that. Uh, I think we've been trying to... Uh, assume uh, that the listeners will be intelligent but not informed. So you know people who are easily able to follow uh, the concepts that we're talking about, but might not have the information, um, you know, to truly to understand it in the first place, if that makes sense. So I think so. When so we've been thinking about um, making sure that we do give the basics of something and the basics of a topic, so that people can then follow the way the argument builds up from there. Um, we've also been trying to avoid the use of jargon. So um, there's obviously a lot of jargon in the that we've been coming across. So some examples which I can think of are, that we tend to say "audit," which is obviously the which is the WHO measure of alcohol dependence. Just
0: quite What's naturally, the yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> What's the
3: WHO? Oh, that's how it goes on. Um, <laughs> things like recovery as well, like conveying people who may not be necessarily necessarily in tune with the field might not know that recovery means um, you know, going into abstinence from uh, drug use so to try and we've basically been trying to pick each other up on that and try and listen as we're recording with an ear to people who um, with an ear to like what the listener will understand and picking each other up on getting each other to define jargon um, other things that we've been trying to do is bring in a lot of imagery and metaphor where possible so conveying, comparing concepts to um, that are of the drugs and addiction world to things that people might understand uh, more readily from day to day life. Um, usually when we're doing that we start off with one example, escalate into uh, five different more extreme examples and then just cut down back to the first example <laughs> which turned out to be the best. Um, And we've also been trying to convey figures and statistical concepts in ways that people understand well. So we actually got feedback from someone on Twitter asking us to do a bit better with that. And I suppose because we're so used to talking about research, odds ratios, things like that, Um, whilst we're never saying odds ratios, when we're talking about increases in likelihood, that isn't something that the public necessarily understand as uh, easily as we do. So we've been trying to make that clearer, and when we're talking about percentages to talk about... Uh, percentages in real terms so rather than 20 percent of people saying uh two in ten people would find this so those were some uh you know some it was really like we're saying a learning curve with it and understanding and i think we did get a lot better
1: a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance
3: went along with how we're communicating another so which brings me on to it like a small tangent of why a podcast is good if you want to practice your science communication because of the amount of re-recording and editing that we're able to do if um, someone says something and it isn't clear enough and uh, (coughs) we can then rethink it go back to it and re-record it and then just edit it into the podcast at a later point so it's been really useful for that for us and for making sure that You don't just get one shot at communicating something, you can um, improve upon it. And so both of those things about uh, content and how we convey the information really overlap with um, audience. So the audience is at the core of how you think about those two things. Um, And when we started out with the podcast, our vision I'll try not to overlap too much with with what Rob's going to say later, but our vision was that we'd be producing it for psychology undergraduates, so I think we were bringing bringing in a lot of psychology in some ways and how it links to different psychology terms, Um, whether or not that is who our audience is, again, TBC, later in the podcast. Um, But certainly when we're thinking about it, um, I think the key things for us have been remembering trying to convey stuff to an audience who maybe don't have a lot of uh, knowledge of drug use and individual drugs, so uh, explaining how different drugs work, what effects they have, and how that might relate to problems that develop, and also conveying um, harm reduction. So we really, or certainly my research tends to come from a stance of harm reduction, but it's important to remember that that isn't something which is widely um, endorsed in the general public, and so we've often... I think a lot of our podcasts have been starting from the point of this is the problem why is the solution not just tell people to stop this and why might we want to bring in harm reduction practices and I think we've done that quite well in some of the podcasts Um, so yeah and I think important always to think about what messages you want people to take away from the podcast so that is something that we'd always try and have in mind throughout the producing of it and the editing process, so what did we want people to know by the end of it so those are my thoughts on science communication
2: Um, okay so this is um it's the basic equipment that uh, that we paid for because recording audio is relatively simple um, but we did get the money uh, so it was worth worth buying a few things um, and the main objective for this really so we got we've got a nice microphone called a yeti a blue yeti and we've got some headphones to listen to ourselves back and we've got the uh, got the photos um, um, with things like uh, getting a nice microphone. It's really about removing barriers between uh the content and the um and the listener. So, I think some of the early ones we did were just with uh, like a very basic uh, handheld um, qualitative interview recorder, and um, sat uh, outside at a cafe. And so every time, if the audio's bad, it's a barrier for the listener um, that they have to then get through. If a plane goes past or a motorbike goes past. It's a barrier that the listener has to get through to get to that content. And the more barriers there are, the more liable you are to have drop-off, or the harder it becomes for your listener to listen. So really, we use that funding to try and reduce as many of those barriers as possible. And the same with the photo, so that there was a real kind of branding, so you can tell by looking at the photo that this is what this is about. You don't have to kind of search for that information, just trying to make it make that as, as easy as possible. But ultimately, the uh, the only real essential is a, is a handheld recorder, or even what you've got on your smartphone. Um, We've listened to a couple of podcasts um, from some other universities, and they've been done on a smartphone in in a public area, and they're fine. If um, if you want to know about the content of that conversation, so if it's on a specific uh, topic with a researcher whose opinion you really want to know, then actually that is fine. It's 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 fine. The content then drives that. It's fine. Um, so that's the only essential, but you can then spend obviously more money. Uh, the two things that were really, really useful in kind of upping the quality of ours was the good microphone in a quiet room. Um, so uh, Kyle Dyer and the distance learning people kindly let us use their studio, and it's quiet in two ways. One is that it's quiet from outside noise, so you don't get aeroplanes and motorbikes. And the other is that it's quiet in terms of uh, sound reflection. So the more soft furnishings there are around a room, the less echoes you have. And those echoes come through and they can be quite difficult to listen to at some frequencies. Um, so the more kind of deadened that room becomes, the easier it is just to listen to the, to the voice and, and the content and, and what people are actually saying. And the microphone really made a difference, again, in, in just having, a, having something that was easier to listen to, not, not quite so harsh or, or tinny. Um, and then there's editing um, so this is a, a free program called Audacity you can download it for free because it's a free program um, and it's relatively simple to use, it's just kind of click and drag so there you just highlight a bit of a conversation where someone's gone off on a tangent that you don't want anymore and you just hit delete and it gets rid of it or you can insert bits from one area to the other it's, it's a relatively straightforward process and really really simple to learn just from kind of online guides <laughs> There's a couple of shortcuts which are worth knowing, but anyone um, who is vaguely conversant with using a computer would be able to use this editing software to edit something down. It does take time though. So if you've got 45 minutes of audio, which is usually what we end up after recording, it takes you 45 minutes to listen to that audio before you've made any edits. So if you've edited it once through, that will probably take an hour and a half. And most of the time we're editing a few times through, and so actually doing a full edit was taking, say three or four hours to edit something down so that it was really um, uh, really kind of tight, really made sense. And there's also difficulties with editing, so you remove an analogy um, right at the beginning and then you have to make sure no one refers to it throughout the rest of the podcast or else it, it becomes really uh, complicated. Uh, people who talk really quickly are really really difficult to edit. Um, people who get to the end of a conversation, when someone gets to an end of a, a sentence and someone's wanted to say something for ages they'll often jump in on the end of that sentence really really quickly which as an editor means you can't edit off the end of that sentence without catching into the next sentence which is really really which is really quite tricky and also you're kind of really keen to keep things concise, a bit, a bit like a well written um, academic paper, you want simple statements that, that make absolute sense and that don't kind of drift um, and so you would get some people on the podcast um, who would start off saying one thing and then get quite distracted by uh, another really important piece of information that should go into the thing that they were originally saying because without that the stuff doesn't really make sense and then would remember a third thing and so by the time the third thing had come in and been made specific content to the two things that they would already sent you were getting to the end of what was actually quite an impossibly long sentence and that had no particular elements or places that were obvious where you could edit it without appearing to cut them off in um, mid-sentence. So that's editing audacity (laughs) and time.
0: (laughs) Okay, so now we're on air uploading. So we use a programme called Acast which is a hosting site um, where it will host our podcast and do the connection between Acast itself and iTunes so that people can have access to our podcast. Um, so ACAST gives us brief statistics of what we've got uh, with our episodes and also gives us ad- advertising revenue. So we have adverts, at the st- one at the start and one at the end, and we get paid every time we reach £100. Um, and since January, we've made... £6.42. <laughs> so it's a real money earner. It's really gone up. <laughs> it's gone up. It's gone up. It was £3 last time I checked. So we're doing really well. <laughs> um, so it's actually quite a really simple interface. And it, it's just an uploading and it's there. and it'll, Everything's click and do. There's no, nothing uh, special about it. But with the one thing we were worried about, it was the advertising. Because we didn't want something advertised in our podcast that was what shouldn't be like an e-cigarette advertisement and then we're all about you know dr- drugs and addiction but we the ACAS did reassure us that they didn't do any e-cigarette advertising payday loans religious or political content and I think fossil fuels or something or something that's funded by fossil fuels anyway we were happy with it and they yeah uh, I think the only adverts that we've actually got is uh, films or other podcasts that ACAS host so it's actually been okay with that Uh, But this is the uploading site which we put on, you just have to upload the mp3 file and then it's there in front of us where our faces are. Uh, We choose a very simple uh, title so it's easily searchable, we'll add tags so that if people are looking for podcasts with drug and addiction in ACAS, we pop up. Um, And then we will add a brief uh, description. Again, as Lindsay said before, with lots of questions, some slightly controversial, engaging, so that people will want to listen. At the bottom, we have our contact details, mainly our Twitter handle, and the Twitter handle or contact details of our speakers, if anyone wanted to get in touch. Um, then, all we have to do then is add the links, because that's why we chose ACAST. So, working it back a bit, why we chose ACAST, is because um, I saw... ACAS being used by a podcast called Say Why to Drugs who which is hosted by uh, Susie Gage a lecturer from uh, Liverpool University and Scroobius Pip a rapper rapper and musician and podcaster um, and they use ACAS but what was great about it is that if you used it on a desktop um visuals came up and then they were clickable so if you were talking about a journal article within our podcast you could then click that link and you would get to that journal article that we were talking about which in the academic world is great for referencing so i thought it was perfect for this podcast because then we could back up everything that we're saying so yes, yeah, so after we've uploaded the audio all you have to do is add those links with some non-copyright photos uh, all across the audio and again like rob was saying it's time intensive because if our end product is 25 minutes, it will be a minimum of 25 minutes to add those links. So it's just, it's, it's a lot shorter than editing, but it still takes time. Um, yeah, and we up, uh, publish it every Tuesday at midnight. And then at midnight, if the people have subscribed to our podcast on iTunes, that our podcast gets downloaded onto their phones automatically every, Tuesday, uh, every fortnight on a Tuesday at midnight. But that's uploading. Mm-hmm.
3: Great. So um, I do more of the promotion than the other two and I try to pretend that it takes as long as the editing and the uploading. Um, So with promotion, I suppose, (laughs) Um, so we obviously wanted the podcast to reach as wide an audience as possible um, and not just be, uh, you know, reached by our friends or people who already follow us on Twitter or who are necessarily already engaged with the research area. So we've had a number of strategies for that. Um, So first of all, the fact that we've linked the podcast uh, topics to the news is kind of a branding thing in itself and a promotional thing in itself because uh, it means that if people are interested in something that's happening in the news, that's kind of promotion for what we've recorded in our podcast. And so I think that's been quite effective. Secondly, we uh, got the podcast branded with these photos, which were of us trying to understand drug uh, science which were taken by Jamie Drew Photography. Um, And uh, so, again, that gave us kind of an ongoing series of images that always linked um, the podcast together and that we could use in different places when we were promoting it. Uh, We made the most of um, organisations that we already had links with. So the Society for the Study of Addiction um, retweets our podcast to their listeners or to their Twitter feed and um, promotes us in that way. Volt Fast, which is a, a drugs policy hub, also promote us to our networks, um, and we've also been promoted by other podcasts, which is really um, really kind of them. Uh, so Susie Gage, um, who Elle was just mentioning, who does the Say Why to Drugs podcast, um, agreed to uh, you know shout us out to her listeners to recommend that they might want to listen to our podcast as well. Um, Jason Reed from the uh, organisation Law Enforcement Against Prohibition also makes a very popular podcast and just kind of spontaneously started um, Picking up, picking up and uh, promoting our podcast for us. So that's been great. Uh, we've also been trying to get media <laughs> media coverage, um, which <laughs> I think i have just overhyped by saying media coverage. But, um, we, uh, so we wrote an article which was published on Vault Fast um, and their website, which was basically just um, uh, explaining what we were doing and why we're doing it and what's coming from the podcast to so try and reach people that way. Um, they came up with the tagline, For the article, Um, we didn't start referring to ourselves as infotainment. Um, And uh, we also uh, managed to get an article in Lib Dem Voices because of the Liberal Democrats' um, drug regulation uh, policies. They were interested in our uh, episode on cannabis regulation. Uh, we didn't really try getting much support from the IOPPN, so they, maybe they would have been very supportive of us, but we've certainly been getting it in newsletters, and um, they've also kindly, spontaneously promoted it to incoming master students for us as well. Um, so yes, yeah, so those are the main promotional angles that we've taken. The main thing about promotions is that we have no idea how effective it's been, so that none of that is able to be monitored. Uh, beyond the fact that more people are listening to it than we have close friends between us. (laughs) Uh, That's the only way we can assume that promotion has worked in any way. Um, So the main kind of social media promotion that I've been doing is through Twitter. So... Uh, I use Twitter and I don't use Instagram or Facebook, which is why all of our promotion is only on Twitter. So I suppose that's, again, like a a limitation that comes from being a researcher doing public engagement. You know, I'm not a social media manager. I don't have time to be engaging with things that don't come naturally to me. But um, it's been working okay. An advantage of Twitter is that you can get analytic data. So you can see how many people have seen your tweet, how many people have clicked your links, how many people have engaged with it. Um, And that's very useful for uh, letting us know how popular things are. So one strategy I've been using on social media is um, linking uh, any podcast episodes that we've done in the past to news stories that are happening at the time, as I was saying, um, you know, to keep that uh, circulation going. And then, so if a news story breaks about something like cannabis regulation or supervised injecting rooms, um, we'll tweet about that. We'll use the hashtags that other people are using and try and bring our podcast to people who are interested in that topic in the news at the time. Um... Did I have something else to say on that? I don't think so. Oh, so that's probably why we get a lot of um, people return to old episodes of our, of our podcast. So people don't just listen as soon as they come out, but we do get a lot of people, uh, we see from the data which we get through ACAST, people listening far down the line from things that we've done months ago. So that's also an advantage of the podcast, I suppose, that you've got a resource which stays on the internet, which people can continually refer back to. So I do probably a lot of uh, poor social media etiquette things. Um, I try to reach out to every psychology undergraduate course in the country, trying to get them to listen to our podcast, um, and basically spamming people in the process, because I just kind of threw away all my dignity at that point, because they were just never picking up on us. And that had absolutely zero uh, effectiveness, so I wouldn't recommend that. But we do also target tweets at people who are relevant to our podcast, so people who um, either we have mentioned their research or people who, you know, are big uh, in the field and talk about it a lot. And that probably has effective about one in ten times, which is good because that does, uh, you know, they're often people who've got a lot of followers and really does increase our reach. So one time that worked was when. Um, the King's Addictions Twitter account asked TV doctor, Dr. Christian Jessen, to retweet our podcast, and he was really happy to do it. So that's great. So that's, you know, brought, again, awareness of our podcast to a much wider audience than we would be able to reach on our own. So, yeah, I think that's me for social media permission. I've had some run-ins with BuzzFeed, but we don't need to talk about that too much. Probably here. <laughs>
2: Um, so, this is a bit of a breakdown uh, for time again, as this is for um, anyone who might be thinking of uh, putting together their own podcast. Um, so, we were doing this every um, once a fortnight. So, kind of recruiting was kind of finding and identifying and talking to uh, your interview, um, your expert, your early career researcher, or whoever was going to be on, on, the, um, on the podcast. Uh, promotion, um, Lindsay was just talking about the actual recording takes an hour, you know, you've, you've got to set up. You have to set up and then you have to work out why your computer can't find the microphone and then you have to change a few leads around and then eventually you get to start recording. Um, uploading takes as long as it takes and um, editing takes time. And um, preparation, so just making sure that we're on top of the subject area, we know what the running time is going to be and all those kind of organizational things. And again, so that was about an hour and a half per person, so four and a half in total. So this brings up like the total average of time for an episode is about 12 hours, which it has been a, bit, it's been a bit of a pain. Um, at times um, because we've been doing this every fortnight and so it's kind of really um, kept recurring. You know, you think you've got shot of a three and a half hour edit and then there's another one um, the next fortnight. Uh, but it's been entirely manageable. Um, and the other thing is that I think if, if it takes 12 hours to prepare and record and edit a podcast, actually putting that onto the end of a, uh, of a piece of research as a part of dissemination is, it is a very low uh, level of commitment, considering it's something that you might be researching for a year, for six months, for however long that might be. So putting together a podcast which kind of summarises it in an easy to disseminate way is quite a low, um, a low time burden. Um, but doing this every week, if you're one person, is probably um, you know, starting to turn into a part-time job. So there's, kind of a, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. Um, the other important thing, again, this is more about the future now, so we finished that six-month run, and I think there is potential, I think um, there's an awful lot of potential with, uh, you know, each episode getting four or five hundred listeners, and getting 50 extra listens each uh, each month on most episodes, um, is about taking a pause at this point and trying to work out who the audience is, who we might want the audience to be, so if the audience is uh, should be academics and dissemination of the research that's happening here then the content gets sort of organized in a different way the recording happens differently and you you target it in that way um, One of the other models is about um, attaching it to specific research things where you wouldn't necessarily have the same audience going through a bit like TED Talks you don't watch all the TED Talks you go in and you watch the ones that are on subjects that you are interested in. And that's another way, so if that's how it wanted to go then you'd find out who that audience was, who that specialist audience in that particular subject was and, and tailor it for them. If the audience wanted to be uh, the general public or kind of the um, uh, intelligent but uninformed or whatever that might be then you'd do it in a different way and you'd target the the content, the recording and the dissemination in, in a different way and it really would drive how you prepare for, how you record it and how you disseminate those podcasts. Um, so it's just, uh, just something worth thinking about The other way of course is just to stick it out there and then try and survey the people who are listening to find out who they are and um, and, and how you might find more of them. Um, but that's a little bit of a clunky way around maybe. Um, so to the conclusions, uh, public engagement is good. Um, <laughs> podcasting, uh, certainly our experience of podcasting is uh, that it's reached yeah, a wide audience. Um, you know, 577 people or certainly close to 600 on two of the podcasts and that that audience was, um, was global. Um, listens continue to accrue which is, which is great because um, you know, that dissemination keeps going but it's uh, it, it's worth bearing in mind that the information may start to get out of date and you need to kind of be aware of what that information is and at the point at which it starts to become false information because there's new information that's made it out of date. There are, you know, there's maintenance problems with the internet. Um, it requires very little money and resources but does take some time, a bit of time and commitment. Um, it does develop new skills in some of the technical aspects of podcasting, you know, laptops and microphones and editing, um, but also in public communication, learning about how you speak, how you interact with people, the kind of questions that work, the kind of questions that don't, the kind of answers to those questions that work and the kind of answers that don't. Um, promotion is vital um, and there's a whole world of ways to promote, um, but again, It's worth kind of bearing in mind, trying to work out how you might understand weather, weather, and how that works. Um, There's a need to identify the audience and match with content, and this comes to the uh, the Uber analogy, my favourite analogy, which is uh, Uber has made a massive business about getting information that people want to provide. Taxi drivers want to provide the information about where they are, and people who use taxis want to know where taxis are, and they've made a massive business out of being the person who, who. takes information that people want to provide and gives it to people who want it and I think there's an opportunity within podcasts to, to do that, to take information from researchers that people want to disseminate and providing it to people who want to listen to that uh, to that research. Um, and um, throughout the process, uh, as well as being fun, uh, we have also broadened our, our own knowledge, so doing 12 episodes with people from the department, from outside the department, um, I've learned an awful lot about areas of uh, substance misuse that I had little or no knowledge about before and that's that's been really really fascinating that's been really rewarding um, and i'd say that'd be my positive thing from the podcast mm.
3: um. oh yeah my positive thing from the podcast obviously how fun it was as rob keeps saying like with <laughs> that slight like, grimace but it was <laughs> quite fun um just probably how uh how useful it is for developing science communication skills and how much more confident it makes you um in what you're saying and putting your work out there that would be my main positive oh.
0: Well, it was obviously fun. <laughs> um, I think mine was to practice, because I guess hosting, it's you have to form those succinct uh, summaries to start with. I think it was just practicing talking, even though it's, you know, there was no audience, but it was a microphone that is slightly off-putting anyway. And I can never do a presentation without going red anyway, so I wanted to do it more and more, so that hopefully, one day, I won't <laughs>
2: That was mine. <laughs> Fantastic.